So I want to I begin uh, today's message as we continue this series on Name Above All Names. And we're going to look at another title uh, of Jesus in a few minutes. But, but I, I want to begin with a question. And the question is simply this. How do you handle life when everything is going wrong? How do you handle life when everything is going wrong? When there's one stressful situation after another, you know, and... You've had one of those weeks. Have you had one of those weeks? I know some people have had one of those weeks. Mark back there just waved at me. Um, how do you handle? How do you handle the stress? This, this is, you know, uh, last week I started out with, the, with that song, this is the most wonderful time of the year. But, you know, for a lot of people, this is the most stressful time of the year. It's, it's a lonely time of the year for some people. It's stressful for others, you know. Uh, God forbid if you have to drive past the mall right now, you know, or try to get into the mall parking lot, you know, the lines are, I mean, like traffic is like, like it's, I'm not even talking about the weather. I'm just talking about traffic in general. It's like, it's like every car, I mean, there's no cars in the driveways or garages. They're all on the street and they're all going where you're supposed to be going, right? When you try to get into a parking lot, I, I, I just kind of feel sometimes like I want to roll down my window and I just want to yell, get out the line. Get out of the line, you know, please, you know. Uh, but it is stressful. It, it kind of reminds me, kind of reminds me of one of my uh, favorite episodes from Seinfeld. Now, how many of you have never seen Seinfeld? Not everybody. Hey, listen, even though it's back from the 90s when it used to run on primetime, they're still on reruns. So everybody's familiar with Seinfeld, it, you know, it, there's some, there's some episodes that aren't too good, but there's, there's a couple that are really kind of funny. And uh, this one that I'm thinking of is uh, an episode with Bob Sacamano. I think that's how you say his name. Is that good? Bob Sacamano? He, he is a dear friend of uh, Cosmo Kramer. And just, just saying the word Cosmo puts a smile on my face. I don't know about you, but, 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 but he, he's a dear friend, right, of, of uh, Cosmo. And... Uh, He's, he's, you know, let's just say this kind thing about, about Bob Sacramento. Uh, he uh, has had some emotional episodes in the past. Uh, that's a nice way of putting it, you know. And so, and so, and so Kramer is trying to convince George and, and Jerry and, and Elaine to, to kind of be, you know, sensitive toward Bob and, and to kind of, you know, watch what you say and, and, and just, just, you know, kind of cut him some slack because he's had some emotional history in the, in the past, you know. And so, and so they, they kind of agree with that. And, and, and then, then they kind of discover that, that Bob has a way of calming himself down. And what he does is he, he thinks happy thoughts. And he, and he has this phrase, two-word phrase, and that is serenity now. <sighs> serenity now. And so, Bob, and, and, so, and so rather, George and even his, and his dad, Frank, they, they try to tap into the secret of peace, right? And so, and so they're, they're kind of repeating that mantra of serenity now, serenity now. Only for George and for Frank, it's not working out too good, you know? And when they're on, on the point of just, you know, losing it, you know, you know like, 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 like Cranley would say, you guys are losing it, Jerry, you know? Uh, it's at that point that, that Bob Sacramento winks and he smiles and he says this. This is his comment, serenity now and sanity later. 
How do you how do you keep from going nuts when when the pressure is on? How do you how do you keep from insanity now? When when listen, I, I believe that if you're a child of God, that there, there is a better way of of than you know chanting this this empty hollowed uh, mantra that that God really is the Prince of Peace and that He has peace for us in in every circumstance and situation. But and I want to tell you, I want to say there's a big but here. Because if we're not careful, right? If we're not alert, if we're not vigilant, and this is something that happens to every single one of us, especially if you're in Christ, is that you will be tempted. Temptations will come. And one of the temptations, when we find ourselves in stressful situations and in difficult circumstances, is to, is to, is to think and to feel uh, these three words, God doesn't care. That's the temptation. And, you know, every one of us has been there and done that. We're, we're, we're tempted to feel. We're tempted to think, you know. And even though we know it's not true, yet I, I can't help but, but feeling that sometimes God doesn't care. Why? Because sometimes heaven is silent. Sometimes it seems as though, as though our prayers go no higher than the ceiling of the room that we're in. Sometimes our expectations are met with disappointments. And sometimes we're tempted to feel God just doesn't care. God doesn't care. That's the temptation. Now, now I know that for most of us, we, 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 we shake that off. Most of us, we resist that temptation. We resist that evil accusation against God. But sometimes if we're not careful, there's like little tiny seeds that, that enter in. You know, do you, you ever notice how how weeds can grow up in the most strangest places? They they could actually break concrete and shoot through cracks. Well, if we're not really careful, if we're not really alert and vigilant, it just may be that the temptation sometimes that comes so often is something that we kind of don't even realize because it seems like such a natural thing. And I want to tell you, even people of faith. People of faith can sometimes feel as though God doesn't care. I want to give you a couple examples. I want, to, I, want to, I want to say not only in our experience, but also in Scripture, we find that there are people of faith who have yielded to the temptation that God doesn't care. And then we're going to draw out of that. From that, we're going to look at one of the titles of Jesus that, that really answers the need for each and every one of us to know that we would know that we would know that God really does care for us. And it's in the big things and in the small things, the big issues in life. And, and, and here's an example of probably we, we've all heard before, right? The disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee was really immense. It was it's no little lake, right? And the way that the, 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 geogra- the geographical or the, top, the topical uh, design of the Lake of Galilee surrounded by these mountains, when the wind would come up over the mountains, it would kind of act like a funnel and go around and whip up the, the storm, or a storm would rip up really like a squall, which would just take place suddenly, you know? And, and, and so on this occasion, the disciples found themselves on the Sea of Galilee with the waves coming over their ship and, and water entering into their ship. And these are, these are experienced, you know, seamen. And they kind of felt like, you know, our life is over. This is not what we signed up for, that, that we are in serious trouble. Our, our life is almost over. 
And, and Jesus, you probably know the story, is asleep in the stern portion of the ship. And this is how, this is how they wake Jesus up. This is, this is what they say to him in Mark 4.38. Rabbi, don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you care that we're about to perish? Don't you care that we're about to drown? That's what they woke Jesus up saying. Because it seemed to them, it seemed reasonable to them, it seemed logical to them that they were on the verge of dying. Therefore, it must be true that God doesn't care. And so Jesus demonstrated the fact that he does care by by rebuking the wind and the sea, and they did obey him. And, and see, the, the thing is, is that they, in that moment, th- this was their perception, and their perception was distorted by their fear. And as a result of their perception being distorted by their fear, they forgot to take into account that the one who was with them is more than a rabbi, that he's very God. And since he's very God, then the very presence of God is with us to help us in times of trouble. That's what they kind of forgot. And this is what I want you to know this morning, that believing that God cares is a matter of trust, and trust is a matter of faith. And may God this morning increase our faith, especially if that applies to you this morning, that you might find yourself in some very difficult set of circumstances. Believing that God cares is a matter of trust, and trust is a matter of faith. And how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. Okay, let me give you an example of small matters. And let me just say this, that I think a lot of times it's in the small matters that we most trip up. You know, there's a verse that says it's the, the little foxes that can nibble at the vines or spoil the vines, you know? You, you, you stumble over small things. You don't stumble over a boulder. You know, you kind of walk around a boulder, but, but you can stumble over small things that are almost imperceptible. So, so here's, here's an example. And again, it's a familiar story to us. And on this occasion, Jesus and his disciples are, are the invited guests in the home of Martha and Mary, Mary being the younger sister of Martha. And uh, Jesus is, is sharing, he's, he's talking about, about the things of God. And, and, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, she's drinking in every word. And, and Martha, whose responsibility as the older sister, as, as the, the matron of the house, is to care for the hungry men that are in the house and, and to be hospitable. And so she's preparing, and uh, she's preparing without any help from, from her sister. And you, you, you know the story. Listen, there's not, a, there's not a wife, there's not a mother who's here this morning and doesn't know the pressure, especially of Christmas season. When there's gifts to buy and there's gifts to wrap and there's the house to decorate and the house to clean and there's, there's a menu to prepare and there's the food to buy and, and all that stuff. Just, I mean, you, you can relate to, to being overwhelmed and overworked and, I mean, you can relate to, to, to Martha. And, and, and this, is, this is how she interrupts Jesus in a very similar way to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. She interrupts Jesus and she says the same question. She says, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? And you know, the implication is in the question, don't you care, is that you don't care. Don't you care that, you, that my sister is, has, has left me to do all the work by myself? Don't you care? 
So whether it's the big issues or whether it's the small issues, that's the temptation that we all face. To kind of feel when things are getting out of control for us, whether they're big or whether they're small, somehow to think, somehow to feel, somehow to believe that God doesn't care. Now I tell you what, this is what I know. I know that I know that God cares for you and that God cares for me. I know that. I know that experientially. I know that that's because my history of more than 40 years of walking with the Lord, but more important than my history in God, of God proving himself caring for me and caring for others, is God's history of demonstrating his care for us. There's a song that we used to sing years and years ago, uh, and, and and it's engrafted into my heart. And it's a very simple chorus, and and it goes something like this. I won't sing it, uh, but it goes, Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. The, The proof, the evidence that I know that he cares is because of what? He did for us in the giving of his life for us. I I believe with all my heart that the disciples who were in the boat and Martha as well, after they had eyewitnessed the horrific way in which Jesus was crucified and gave his life and then rose again for our justification, I think that no matter what they went through in life, and and, and some of them were were tortured and some of them were executed in horrific ways, but I, I do not believe that they were ever tempted again to feel or to believe or to think that God doesn't care. I believe it became a part of their history because it became a part of God's history. So I said that to say this. I want to talk to you about a title that ought to ought to give to us this this kind of encouragement and this kind of faith to build up our faith because it's a title of Jesus that transcends time. What do I mean by that? It's a title given to Jesus before time began and it will be a title ascribed to Jesus way after time as we know it will end because there will be a day in which time as we know it, the the calendars will stop, the clock will stop, and eternity will begin for us. But even then, in eternity, Jesus will be known by the title, the Lamb of God. God, the Lamb, the Lamb of God. It's the predominant theme of the book of Revelation. 31 times Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God, the Lamb as it had been slain, the the Lamb sitting upon the throne. And we read about the book of life of the Lamb of God. So it is one of the predominant themes of the last book of the Bible. And clearly, heaven and eternity will be talking about the Lamb of God forever. And forever, before there was a planet Earth, I mean, think about it. Before there was time, Jesus is said to be the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. So before there was a planet Earth, before there was a garden of paradise, before there was a a man to fall within that paradise, God had provided, made a provision. He provided a lamb for us, to die for us, 
to be for us our covering and our provision. It's significant that before time began that Jesus is called the Lamb of God. It's a title that he chose, obviously, for himself, that God chose to be, to be known by. Of all the different titles for all eternity, for God to be known, for Jesus to be known as he chose purposely with the design to be known as the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who died for us, and, and I've got to stress this, who no man took his life from him. This was a voluntary sacrifice. I have the power to lay down my life. I have the power to take it up again. He was not coerced. He was not cajoled. He was not controlled, manipulated into becoming the... No, because of his love for his father to, to demonstrate his father's greatness and because of his ravished heart to save us from eternal suffering, Jesus voluntarily gave himself as the Lamb of God. Our staff, we've been, we've been doing a book called Worship Matters. We've been studying this, this book, going through it together, chapter by chapter and week by week for a number of weeks now. And, and I was so delighted. I've been meditating about the Lamb of God this, this past week. And, and I was so delighted to come across the author's notes about the Lamb of God. And this is what he says. He says, heaven's worshipers joined together to proclaim day and night, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Then he says this, it seems like heaven itself never moves away from the cross. Never moves away from the cross. Heaven is not only Christ-centered, but Christ, I'm sorry, heaven is not only Christ-centered, but cross-centered. Those in heaven never tire of extolling the lamb who was slain. For eternity, we will never tire of extolling the lamb who was slain. Now, what's a lamb? A lamb, the nature of a lamb is mild. It's, it's meek. It, it, it has no defense mechanism. It, it has no claws. It, it doesn't bite. It doesn't bark. A lamb is submissive. And Isaiah said, of the suffering man, that he, as a lamb that was led to the slaughter, so he... He was silent. He opened not his mouth. As a lamb that was silent before his shearers, so, so Jesus fulfills that. In, in his arrest and in his trial before the, the, the Sanhedrin, Jesus offers no defense of himself. When he's struck, he, he, he really practices what he preached. He gave his beard to those that plucked out his beard. You know what? The knowledge of God the knowledge of God is so absolutely unthinkable. This is unimaginable. When I, when, when, when I would naturally think about God, I, I would think about God as the creator and the sustainer of the universe who spoke galaxies into existence with the power of his word. And that's who God is, and that's who Jesus is. But he's also a lamb. He's also a lamb. In the gentleness and in the meekness and in the submission of the Son of God, God desired to show himself as one who would drink the cup in obedience to his Father to the very full. This is the creator, the Savior, our God, who became flesh and blood for us. Last week I had to use words to describe this gift as, as, as unspeakable, inexpressible, ineffable, 
But what I do know is this, that I, could me- I, I can't measure the majesty of Christ, but I could measure the love of Christ because he laid down his life for me. I know that I know that I know he cares for me because when he was in excruciating pain, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, and, and, and that's, that's where it all began, where it began with that thought, God doesn't care. I mean, that was, really was the underlying temptation, that God doesn't care. And when they fell, God came to them because he cared. And what did he do? He forgave them, and he also provided for them. But he also gave to them and to the world a picture of the ultimate salvation. He covered their shame and their, their, their guilt, It was more than physical. He covered their shame and he covered their guilt with animal skins. And it was God who took the first life, who took took two lambs and and who slew those lambs and took their skins and covered their nakedness with those skins. And by it, God gave a picture of the innocence being given over for the guilty, the undeserving being covered in a, in a, in a manner in which they had no right to be covered. So little by little, God was revealing himself as the Lamb of God who would ultimately take away the sin of the world. This gift given by God in portrait form, in picture form, in type and in shadow, really is the, is the message of the Bible. The, the message of the Bible is the story of the Lamb. God's speaking to Abraham, saying, Abraham, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him up as a sacrifice in the place where I will show you. And, and Abraham, an old man, takes his, his young son, who's probably about 30 years old. He's not a little boy, probably about 30 years of age. And, they, and they're traveling to a place called Moriah. And as they're traveling up the mountain, Isaac says to him, Father, the wood we have for the altar and the fire we have, but where is the lamb? And Abraham says, don't worry, son. God will provide himself the sacrifice. Right before he was about to slit his son's throat, God speaks from heaven and says, Abraham, touch not your son. Do him no harm, for now I know that there's nothing you will hold from me. And that's the picture God was giving to the world, that, that while Abraham was able to spare his son because there was a lamb caught in a thicket, God would provide a lamb that would not be spared. He would not spare his only begotten son, but gave him up for us. This really is the story of the Bible. It's the story of the Lamb. It's, it's, it's how the tribe became a nation because the, the tribe in the nation of Israel was not a nation until it was birthed and it was birthed because of the blood of a Lamb. All of those plagues that took place, all of those miracles that were demonstrations of God's power were really nothing more than God flexing his fingernail. But God was about to show the world, this is the way I overcome my enemy. This is the way, this is the way that I conquer the, the wicked one through the blood of a lamb. And so God says to Moses, Moses, take now, for each family, take now a lamb and slay the lamb and draw its blood into a basin and paint the blood upon each doorway. Then take the lamb into the house and roast the lamb with fire and make sure that not one bone of it is broken. 
and consume that land. If there's, if, if, if there's more land for one family, then two or three families can gather together. But make sure that you consume the entire land. And that night, the angel of death passed through the land of Egypt, and there was Christ in the households of the Egyptians, but in the household of those who were covered by the blood, there was protection. As the angel of death went through the nation of, of Egypt, and as a result of that, that next morning, they went out free. What all the other plagues could not do in the demonstration of God's power, and now God was demonstrating his power and his wisdom in a different way through the blood of a lamb. In a very real sense, the lamb went with them as they journeyed because they internalized the lamb. Every man, woman, and child was to eat the lamb, and as they ate the lamb, the lamb became a part of them. If, if it's true, you are what you eat in that sense. And they went out and they journeyed. And during the daytime in the desert, you know, when, when they would have roasted because of the heat, there was a, a cloud of glory that sheltered them and protected them from the harmfulness and the heat of the sun. And at night, it was a, a cloud of fire that gave them warmth and gave them light. And over the course of the next 40 years, God was providing for them manna, bread from heaven. God was providing for them water out of a flinty rock. And God was providing for them protection. And God was providing for all of their needs because God cares. He really does care. And that's the picture that God was giving to them. And that became so much a part of their DNA, so much a part of their history that they would celebrate what was called the Passover. And from year to year, they would look back at what was done by God. But God wanted them to look forward. They, they were only looking backward, but God was wanting them to see that this was really more of a picture of the lamb who was to come who would take away the sin of the world. In fact, they, they had shepherds who specialized every year. They had shepherds who had prepared, who raised, who, who cared for, for sheep, for, whose purpose was, was one purpose only, and that was to be slaughtered on the day of Passover. And on a certain, a certain night when shepherds, Passover shepherds, were keeping watch over their flocks, the glory of the Lord reappears and the glory of the Lord filled the heavens and the angels broke through the physical dimension and began to share this message of great tithings of good joy, peace on earth. For unto you this day in the city of David is born Messiah, Christ the Lord. And the first shepherds, the, 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 I should say this, the first people who, who lay their eyes on the Lamb of God who was to take away the sins of the world were Passover shepherds. And they examined that babe in the manger. They were seeing beyond themselves because that was their job. Their job was to, was to qualify sheep, lambs, that would be the perfect offerings. And, and I shared this several weeks ago, if you remember, if we fast forward to the cross at 12 o'clock noon that day when Jesus was being nailed to the cross at that very moment from a distance that could be seen from, from Golgotha, in the temple courts, the priests were there 
slaying lambs, the Passover lambs were being slain in the very hour that Jesus was being crucified. But really the only lamb that really only mattered to God that put an end to all the other lambs. I mean, over the course of Israel's history, how many millions of lambs were slain, but they only pointed to the one lamb. And now that the one lamb had come, sufficient now was his sacrifice. Not only sufficient, but it put an end to all other sacrifices. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says, now, but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus has made an end of sin. He's put an end to sin as far as, as far as the necessity of bringing punishment upon you and me who believe that he was punished in our stead for us. It says this in, in Hebrews 10, 14, because of one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. I am perfect in that his sacrifice qualifies me with perfection in that I am being made holy, being separated unto God. And I want you to know this. If God has provided for the children of Israel under the old covenant, and we have a better covenant based upon better promises, if God provided for them and demonstrated his care for them in the cloud, protecting them with air conditioning in the day and heat at night and giving them manna from heaven and, and, and to the point where their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years, their clothes did not wear out. He had provided for them how much more now that the real substance of the lamb who has come, will he demonstrate his love for us, his care for us? But I want you to know this morning, what I want you to take away from this message today is simply this, that the lamb who died for us is the lamb who provides for us, is the lamb who lives for us. The lamb provided is the lamb who provides. Paul says that I know this, my God shall supply all your need by his riches and glory in Christ. Why? Because he cares for us. This is what Peter said, casting all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life, what more could he give? Oh, how he loves you and me. There's a song that the worship team's gonna come back and, and sing the chorus of one of the verses says, cause I know you gave the world your only son for us to know your name, to know your name. Say, I believe that to know the name of Jesus, to know the names of Jesus is to live in the Savior's love. For you took my place, knowing he'd be crucified. You loved, you loved the people undeserving. Believing that God cares is a matter of trust and trust is a matter of faith. This morning, I, I pray that you will be infused with faith, having heard the word of the, the Lord today, having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the story of the Lamb. And the story of the lamb demonstrates for us with absolute proof that God cares for you and he cares for me. Let's pray. So Father, I thank you this morning for the infinite love that you have for us, the care that you have for each and every one of us, that you gave your son for us, that we, believing in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. 
And I pray, Father, that you would search the house, whether it's young or old this morning. If there's someone here today, Lord God, that has not made that transaction, that has not received Jesus as the gift of God, that today, Lord God, you would open up their hearts. Because only by a miracle of grace can we see this incredible gift that you've given. And so I pray that you would do that this morning, Lord. And you would be gracious, Lord God, because that's who you are. That's your nature. This is who you are. You're the lamb as it had been slain. The lamb given for us to nurture us, to care for us, to save us. And so if you're here this morning and while we're still in this frame of prayer and maybe your eyes are closed and, and just between you and God right now, and just quietly right where you are, would you just say something like this? Would you just invite Jesus to come into your heart, say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, be the Lord and Savior of my life. I believe that you died for me and that you rose again, that you're alive right now. And if you do that, just go ahead and tell somebody by the end of the service today and Maybe just come on up for prayer at the end of the service. We'll be happy to pray for you. But I want you to know that this same Jesus, and, and this, is, this is what's so incredible, that this same Jesus who died for us as the Lamb of God is, this, is the same Jesus who now lives for us by the power of an endless life. Death can never touch him again, and therefore he ever lives to make intercession for us. He lives now seated upon the throne of God for us as us in partnership. Because he's the head and we're the members of his body and of his bone. Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Lamb who cares, the Lamb who's provided for us.